the modest proposals for a model city's rent supplement and rat control, pitiful as they were to begin with, get caught in the maze of congressional inaction. And I submit to you tonight that a Congress that proves to be more anti-Negro than anti-rat needs to be dismissed. It seems that our legislative assemblies have adopted Nero as their patron saint and are bent on fiddling while our cities burn. Even when the people persist and in the face of great obstacles develop indigenous leadership and self-help approaches to their problems and finally tread the forest of bureaucracy to obtain existing government funds. The corrupt political order seeks to crush even this beginning of hope. The case of CDGM in Mississippi is the most publicized example, but it is a story repeated many times across our nation. Our own experience here in Chicago is especially painful at present. After an enthusiastic approval by HEW's Department of Adult Education, SCLC began an adult literacy project to aid 1,000 young men and women who have been pushed out of overcrowded ghetto schools in obtaining basic, basically literacy skills prerequisite to receiving jobs. We had an agreement with A&P stores for 750 jobs through SCLC's job program, Operation Breadbasket, and had recruited over 500 pupils the first week. At that point, Congressman Paczynski and the Daily Machine intervened and demanded that Washington cut off our funds or channel them through the machine control poverty program in Chicago. Now we have no problem with administrative supervision, but we do have a desire to be independent of machine control and the Democratic Party patronage network. For this desire for a politically independent approach to the needs of our brothers, our funds are being stopped as of September 15th, and a very meaningful program discontinued. Yes, the hour is dark. Evil comes forth in the guise of good. It is a time of double talk when men in high places have a high blood pressure of deceptive rhetoric and an anemia of concrete performance.
We crowd against welfare handouts to the poor, but generously approve an oil depletion allowance to make the rich richer. Six Mississippi plantations receive more than a million dollars a year not to plant cotton, but no provision is made to feed the tenant farmer who is put out of work by the government subsidy. Crowning achievement in hypocrisy must go to those staunch Republicans and Democrats of the Midwest and West who were given land by our government when they came here as immigrants from Europe. They were given education through the land-grant colleges. They were provided with agricultural agents to keep them abreast of farming trends. They were granted low-interest loans to aid in the mechanization of their farms. And now that they have succeeded in becoming successful, they are paid not to farm. And these are the same people who now say to black people, whose ancestors were brought to this country in chains and who were emancipated in 1863 without being given land to cultivate a bread to eat, that they must pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. What... What they truly advocate is socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. I wish that I could say that this is just a passing phase in the cycle of our nation's life. Certainly times of war, times of reaction throughout the society. But I suspect that we are now experiencing the coming to the surface of a triple-pronged sickness that has been lurking within our body politic from its very beginning. That is the sickness of racism, excessive materialism and militarism. Not only is this our nation's dilemma, it is the plague of Western civilization. As early as 1906, W.B. Du Bois prophesied that the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. Now as we stand two-thirds into this crucial period of history, we know full well that racism is still that hound of hell which dogs the tracks of our civilization. Ever since the birth of our nation, white America has had a schizophrenic personality on the question of race. She has been torn between cells, a self in which she proudly professed the great principles of democracy and a self in which she madly practiced the antithesis of democracy. This tragic duality has produced a strange indecisiveness 
and ambivalence toward the Negro, causing America to take a step backward simultaneously with every step forward on the question of racial justice, to be at once attracted to the Negro and repelled by him, to love and to hate him. And there has never been a solid, unified, and determined thrust to make justice a reality for Afro-Americans. The step backward has a new name today. It is called the white backlash. But the white backlash is nothing new. It is the surfacing of old prejudices, hostilities, and ambivalences that have always been there. It was caused neither it was caused neither by the cry of black power nor by the unfortunate re recent wave of riots in our cities. The white backlash of today is rooted in the same problem that has characterized America ever since the black man landed in chains on the shores of this nation. This does not imply that all white Americans are racist. Far from it, many white people have, through a deep moral compulsion, fought long and hard for racial justice. Nor does it mean that America has made no progress in her attempt to cure the body politic of the disease of racism, or that the dogma of racism has not been considerably modified in recent years. However, for the good of America, it is necessary to refute the idea that the dominant ideology in our country, even today, is freedom and equality, while racism is just an occasional departure from the norm on the part of a few bigoted extremists. Racism can well be that corrosive evil that will bring down the curtain on Western civilization. Arnold Tornbe has said that some 26 civilizations have risen upon the face of the earth. Almost all of them have descended into the junk heaps of destruction. The decline and fall of these civilizations, according to Tornbe, was not caused by external invasions, but by internal decay. They failed to respond creatively to the challenges impinging upon them. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. The second aspect of our afflicted society is extreme materialism. An Asian writer has portrayed our dilemma in candid terms. He says, you call your thousand material devices labor-saving machinery, yet you are forever busy. 
with the multiplying of your machinery, you grow increasingly fatigued, anxious, nervous, dissatisfied. Whatever you have, you want more. And wherever you are, you want to go somewhere else. Your devices are neither time-saving nor soul-saving machinery. There are so many sharp spurs which urge you on to invent more machinery and to do more business. This tells us something about our civilization that cannot be cast aside as a prejudice charge by an Eastern thinker who is jealous of Western prosperity. We cannot escape the indictment. This does not mean that we must turn back the clock of scientific progress. No one can overlook the wonders that science has wrought for our lives. The automobile will not abdicate in favor of the horse and buggy, or the train in favor of the stagecoach, or the tractor in favor of the hand plow, or the scientific method in favor of ignorance and superstition. But our moral lag must be redeemed when scientific power outruns moral power we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. <laughs> when we foolishly maximize the minimum and minimize the maximum, we sign the warrant for our own day of doom. It is this moral lag in our thing-oriented society that blinds us to the human realities around us and encourages us in the greed and exploitation which create the sector of poverty in the midst of wealth. Again, we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves. and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, both here and abroad. If Negroes and poor whites do not participate in the free flow of wealth within our economy, they will forever be poor giving their energy, their talents, and their limited funds to the consumer market, but reaping few benefits and services in return. The way to end poverty is to end the exploitation of the poor, ensure them, ensure them a fair share of the government's services and the nation's resources. I propose recently that a national agency be established to provide employment for everyone needing it. Nothing is more socially inexcusable than unemployment in this age. In the 30s, when the nation was bankrupt, it instituted such an agency, the WPA. In the present conditions of a nation glutted with resources, 
It is barbarous to condemn people desiring work to soul-sapping inactivity and poverty. And I am convinced that even this one massive act of concern would do more than all the state police and armies of the nation to quell riots and still hatreds. And the tragedy is that our materialistic culture does not possess the statesmanship necessary to do it. Victor Hugo could have been thinking of 20th century America when he wrote, there's always more misery among the lower classes than there is humanity in the higher classes. The time has come for America to face the inevitable choice between materialism and humanism. We must devote at least as much to our children's education and the health of the poor as we do to the care of our automobiles and the building of beautiful, impressive hotels. We must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. We must further recognize that the ghetto is a domestic colony. Black people must develop programs that will aid in the transfer of power and wealth into the hands of residents of the ghetto so that they may in reality control their own destinies. This is the meaning of new politics. People of goodwill in the larger community must support the black man in this effort. The final phase of our national sickness is the disease of militarism. Nothing more clearly demonstrates our nation's abuse of military power than our tragic adventure in Vietnam. This war has played havoc with the destiny of the entire world. It has torn up the Geneva Agreement. It has seriously impaired the United Nations. It has exacerbated the hatred between continents and, worse still, between races. It has frustrated our development of home, at home, telling our own underprivileged citizens that we place insatiable military demands above their most critical needs. It has greatly contributed to the forces of reaction in America and strengthened the military-industrial complex. And it has practically destroyed Vietnam and left thousands of American and Vietnamese youth maimed and mutilated and expose the whole world to the risk of nuclear warfare. Above all, 
The war in Vietnam has revealed what Senator Fulbright calls our nation's arrogance of power. We are arrogant in professing to be concerned about the freedom of foreign nations while not setting our own house in order. Many of our senators and congressmen vote joyously to appropriate billions of dollars for the war in Vietnam. And many of these same senators and congressmen vote loudly against the Fair Housing Bill to make it possible for a Negro veteran of Vietnam to purchase a decent home. We arm Negro soldiers to kill on foreign battlefields, but offer little protection for their relatives from beatings and killings in our own South. We are willing to make the Negro 100% of a citizen in warfare, but reduce him to 50% of a citizen on American soil. No war in our nation's history has ever been so violative of our conscience, our natural national interests, and so destructive of our moral standing before the world. No enemy has ever been able to cause such damage to us as we inflict upon ourselves. The inexorable decay of our urban centers has flared into terrifying domestic conflict as the pursuit of foreign war absorbs our wealth and energy. Squalor and poverty scar our cities as our military might destroys cities in a far-off land to support oligarchy to intervene in domestic conflict. The president who cherishes consensus for peace has intensified the war. In answer to a cry to stop the war, it has brought tauntingly to one minute's flying time from China to a moment before the midnight of world conflagration. We are offered a tax for war instead of a plan for peace. Men of reason should no longer debate the merits of war or means of financing war. They should end the war and restore sanity and humanity to American policy. If the will of the people continues to be unheeded, all men of goodwill must create a situation in which the 1967-68 elections are made a referendum on the wall. The American people... The American people must have an opportunity to vote into oblivion those who cannot detach themselves from militarism and those who lead us. When you have these woke revolutions, 
That was uh, that was from Martin Luther King's speech, "The Three Evils of Society," where he was discussing. Uh, War, racism, and poverty. I highly recommend that you take a look. And and uh, the com- it was interrupted by a commercial about uh, you know this sort of backlash against uh, people who are being empathetic and working towards uh, understanding and, and really talking about history. And I think that that's a speech that comprises so many different elements. He talks a little bit about Chicago and uh, efforts to bring education and jobs to communities here. And that was thwarted by former Mayor Daley, Congressman Chinsky. And uh, and he talks a lot, obviously, about uh, the the real uh, burdens of racism that will continue to destroy our, our our uh, our country and our civilization and i wanted to play that today because there's so many people that are cherry picking you see that i did not you know i i, I have no problem saying that we have a, a very complicated history as liberals as democrats and but seeing people like governor abbott quote martin luther king I, I just it's Mace Nancy Mace. I mean, all these people. It's just, and there are a lot of ellipses, right? There's always like a dot, 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 because they want to cherry pick it for their own, their own um, purposes. So let's take a break here, and uh, and we'll start our conversation in just a moment. Uh, we are so thrilled to welcome in studio because it is Martin Luther King Day, and as Joan mentioned, the call is to is to. Contributing to helping each other, to volunteering. So we're going to talk to our friends uh, about a wonderful program. We're going to be talking to uh, Julian Champion of West Point School of Music, which is a tuition-free community music school right here in Chicago. So let's take a break. We'll come back in just a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. Hello, and we are so thrilled that you're joining us today. Uh, Again, I was playing a speech earlier, the uh, three evils of society. Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking about racism, war, and poverty. And uh, it is a day to think of how we can help others in our community. And so I'm so thrilled to to welcome in the studio our new friend, Julian Champion of West Point School of Music. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us and for coming out in the cold. I I imagine traffic was not too bad today. No, I I had the road all to myself. <laughs> well, tell us a little. Well, let me. Let's meet you first. Where Where are you from, my friend? I am originally from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. Okay, so, so this is not pleasant at all. I mean, why? Mm. I, I, my mother's from Mexico, and I've often asked her why Chicago. Uh, why Chicago for you? Well, I I came to school here in '91 um, and went to school in Maryland and Charlotte. So I've been here for a long time. You've been here for a long time? Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, so Chicago, did you come to school in Chicago? Yeah, I came. No, I didn't come to school oh. in Chicago. I came to Chicago to work. Uh-huh. And um, then started my organization. And so what? tell us a little bit about your musical background. What uh, What drew you to music? Well, I, I wanted to play an instrument at seven years old. I could remember oh. wanting to play an instrument and just was never able to at that time because... Um, I was subject to the circumstances of my birth. Uh, my mother was a single mother, and she was young, and we didn't have much. And the idea of telling her mom I would like to play an instrument, in my small mind, I calculated that that would be too much. So you didn't even want to ask? No, I oh. didn't want to ask, because I didn't want her to... 
feel guilty about, about it. About something else she couldn't do. Right. So the first time I held an instrument in my hand, I was 17. And um, I, I started with a trombone. I wanted to play the saxophone, and I kept waiting because, I, of course, it's a, it's a program that's given you instruments, so all the, the saxophones were all taken, and I just kept waiting for someone to quit. <laughs> for your turn. You had to yeah, wait for but your turn. I, I wanted to play so badly that I took the trombone, but I was waiting for the saxophone. A trumpet opened up, and I went over to that, waiting for the saxophone, and the saxophone never opened up, so I, I stayed with the trumpet. You did? <laughs> I did. Really? What was it that drew you to the saxophone? Was there, was there a particular musician or no, I, a I think song? I like jazz. You like jazz, I sure. I like jazz. Yeah. yeah, and the trombone and the trumpet, incredible uh, horns, just not what you were drawn to at the time. No. But powerful instruments, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah. In orchestral music, the trombone is generally the, 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 the instrument they use to signal the voice of the divine, the, the oh. voice of the gods. Um, and the trumpet is the the of course the eternal sound of militancy and march and warfare and fight and power. So they are beautiful instruments. But I wanted to play the saxophone. But sure, it's okay. You know, but we are we are we are fine. I have now. I wish I had played the trombone because it is a very beautiful instrument and you can do so many wonderful things with it. But. Okay, so at seventeen, you finally start playing musical instruments, and and decide to, is this something you decided to study yeah, further? I, I so I, I started to play the the instruments and really wanted to be a professional musician, but starting to play music at seventeen is like starting gymnastics and hoping you would compete with Simone Biles, but you are starting at seventeen, mm-hmm. right? There is. You know, I have a couple of young people who have gone through our program who are now in the the army band. And I don't know if people know this, but the one job in the army they will not train you they they will not train you for is that of a musician. If you go to the army and you would like to be a musician, you have to go in at seventeen or eighteen with a high level of competency. Yes, they will train you to march and in their ceremonies, but they will not train you to play music. You can learn. Anything else in the army, um, in their in your your training, but sure. being a musician, so right. you have to have a certain amount of competency. So what happened with me was, I practiced really hard and I I wanted to do well, but somewhere in there, I decided that okay, I may have missed the the train, but I will devote my life to helping young people wherever I am. Who have a desire to play? So that's that's what I've done. So they won't miss a train. You're right. catching train. You're helping people catch trains all over the place, right? I, I, I right? am, and I and I. It's become my life work, and I enjoy it. You mentioned the army because uh, I, I had the pleasure of working with the, the Marine Corps in the recruit uh, recruitment yeah. area with the educators and, and media, and I've talked to a lot of them. And, and one of the things that they talk about is their military ba- their band that travels around the world. Yeah. And uh, it's, it seems it, you're right. I mean, you, if you are already a musician, it is a way to join the military and they while they get all the basic training after that they pretty much have you know they have the honor of, of performing again for dignitaries around the world right, is that yeah. something that you had you had imagined yeah, yeah. I, I mean for my not for myself but, but for my for my um students who have been in the program and i again 
you have to be able to play by 17. You right. can't be starting at 17. They, when our students went up, they told them, well, if you don't pass this, you do a, a, a test. If you don't pass the test, if you don't get a certain score, they will give you a new designation. You can learn to work with tanks or be a bomber or some mm-hmm. other sort right. of technician, but you couldn't be a musician if you didn't pass the music skills test. And I would imagine there aren't there aren't as many uh, uh, I'm sorry enough many soldiers that are of color that have the opportunity to learn at the rate that white soldiers might. Well, you know the fact is the um, the National Endowment for the Arts tells us that from um, 1957 through 2008. The percentages of African Americans who've who've not had access to edu- to arts education has gone from fifty eight fifty nine percent to twenty six percent. Okay. While among whites, the percentage drop off has been from fifty nine to fifty eight percent. So, you know, we would say, I don't know if you've heard the expression when when America sneezes, Black America catches a cold. Oh. Right? right. It's like. Whatever happens in the gen- in the population at large, as bad as it is, it's always worse in the African American community. Now, if you listen to Martin Luther King's speech, the one you played just now, you you you're getting some of the reasons for that. But the facts it's it's just a fact, right? I don't I'm not here to to cry too much. I'm here to say that we have a an opportunity, I think, as a as a people, as a population. Black and white and and Hispanic and we have a, a, an opportunity to to write a new chapter to reimagine what we want our society to be and look like and I I hope we we grasp it. I agree. I agree. And and what kind of a reaction and relationship do you have with with the kids' families? I mean, because they must be grateful that there's an opportunity to have their kids exposed to music and learn a new a, a new talent. Absolutely. I I um. You know, what's, what's always amazing is we have concerts twice a year and our young musicians, they get all dressed up and they perform and, and the parents are, our events are well attended, our parents are very supportive and they are so proud of their, their children. They get flowers and, and bouquets as they, at the end of the performance and the young people are standing tall and standing strong because they were able to do something that they didn't even did not even know was possible for them to do, and I and, and that's part of the joy, right? You you were born into a neighborhood. I was born in Trinidad, uh, born to a single mother. I had no part in picking that those circumstances of my birth, right? And and here you have people who are born and the wrong side of the tracks, as it were, or you were born in the wrong zip code, you were born on the south side, you were born to to parents who are trying their best, right? And that's another myth we have. We, everybody on the south side isn't struggling on drugs or fighting or engaging violence. There are, there are thousands of people who are just living life, trying to put it together, Yeah. right? Just put it together and... Um, because of some of the things that go back as far as the founding of this America's original sin, 
there is a lot of reasons we, we have a hard time putting it together. However, um, I'm convinced that if young people in these neighborhoods and young people in the, in the barrios are given an opportunity, that's all they need. If you give them an opportunity and you don't tell them what they can and cannot be, and you open young people's imagination that beautiful creatures would evolve, would develop, would, and they would be transformative. And it's in our interest, it's in our collective interest to help young people, regardless of their race, to become better because they are going to be managing our geriatric care one day. <laughs> no doubt about that, for sure. Right. We are in studio with our friend from, oh, I've lost all my information, from West Point School of Music. Julian Champion uh, provides a tuition-free community music school improving the lives of the youth in Chicago South Side through music instruction and performance. The website is West Point's OM. Is that right? West Point SOM. West Point SOM. That's westpointsom.org for more information. And how can we support the work that you do? What, what, what can we do? What's the call to action for us? Well, the call to action is that we can start very small, right? Some of you are, who are listening, you have instruments in your basement that you were going to get back to play in one year. And um, time is ticking. And we can relife that instrument, repurpose it, and put it in the hands of a young person who can use it to create a life. And that would be a, a good thing you can do. You can donate an instrument. If you go to our website, there's a donate button. You can donate an instrument. Of course, I run a not-for-profit, so it would be remiss of me not to tell you that you can make a financial contribution to us, like every other not-for-profit that's been on here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make a financial contribution. But our, our our big ask is we we uh we want to build we purchased our own facility last year or 2022 late 2022 um, three acres 24,000 square feet former school building that has become our school of music and we want to build on that property um, 56 thousand square feet performance hall and the architects tell me that that's going to be a 35 million dollar project okay and someone says well that's a lot of money and i'm thinking well no when you compare when you think about how the things we've done and the way we've spent money and the fact that we need to invest in young people and we need to invest in the south side i don't think it is so there might be somebody listening to me today who can say you know what I want to give you a million or two to get that project started. I want to right. give you $35 million so you can do it, so you guys can do something for young people. And I'll, that's a great way you can help. Well, and that goes back to, again, Martin Luther King Jr.'s yes, speech about absolutely. how investing in these communities, because it's not just uh, for the students that are able to enjoy the ability to learn how to play an instrument. It's for their families. It's for the neighborhood. It's the performance space. I mean, that's what we need. Our, and that's what a lot of neighborhoods are built around, churches and performance spaces, don't you think? You're right. And because if you, if you build, so a lot of the work is, we want to do develop businesses, right? So you build and these, you know, a small shop maybe, or you want to do something with housing. So if you have a good house and you have a good school, but there is no what one of my board members call third spaces. Um, it's a place that's not home or school where a young person can yes. go 
and and become themselves because home has something to offer definitely and school has something to offer but you need viable third spaces if for example if you just did a search of music schools in chicago on google you will see that there are over 20 20 music schools on the north side and on the south side west point school of music is the only one that comes up on google but i know that there are at least two others um, on the south side but you you think thousands of people on the south side in need of third spaces, whether it's karate clubs, um, dance studios, uh, community music schools. Um, and those places, they don't exist. And I think, I think we'll still have a problem of people not wanting to be in these neighborhoods because if I'm a working mom or working dad and I'm trying to do the best for my family, I'm, I see, I'm seeing my kids at home. And I know they go to school, but then you start wondering, well, what else can I do? Or what else can I make available for my kid? And then you start moving out and going out to things, and then you just abandon the neighborhood. I think there is a need uh, politically for for the powers that be, our mayor and the council and the city council to say, you know what, we need to invest in the south side in in ways other than just housing or just school because we need to create viable and vibrant and vital neighborhoods. So that's the need. Outstanding. And what has been the response from, let's say, your state representative or state senator? Or can we make those introductions and reach out to them, too? Yeah, you, you, you can. Uh, our our oh. alderman has been supportive. Um, Mosley, Alderman Mosley, he's, he's new on, on, in our ward. And um, I have had some support from um, State Rep. Camille Lilly. Oh, okay, um, excellent. But I, I don't have enough. I, I don't right. have enough. I don't have enough state rep i'm really busy sure doing the work and part of what you have to do when you're leading a not-for-profit even particularly when you are uh, an african-american leader is you you people want proof of concept without without even the funding they, you, you you have to be you have to prove that you are viable before you get the vital support that you need and you know it's part of the it's part of the landscape and that's fine and i i I don't mind answering the questions and and passing the test but i'm telling you what we cannot leave thousands of children in underinvested neighborhoods and expect that they become creative Mm -hmm. um productive wholesome adults it's just not going to happen it's 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 madness that's that's one of the things that I've struggled with. I, I have lived in Chicago my entire life, and uh, and I've I, even at a young age I knew because I grew up here. I grew up on the northwest side of Chicago, where, as you mentioned, we do have those third spaces. Whether it's you know libraries that are are open and, and fully staffed, and uh, you know having park districts where it's safe to go. Because a lot of kids, you know, a lot of parents don't know, are worried about as you mentioned, or volunteers yes. are worried to go to the south and west side. But even, it, beyond just those programs, I mean, after school programs and and parents who you know, we. You know, when I was growing up, both my parents did work, but I. You know, there were, there was this sort of uh, watching out for each other. This neighborhood has a lot yes. to offer, but I did see the disinvestment uh, firsthand because it was also when they started desegregation and they brought kids from the south and west side to go to school here and said, you know, and, and so this, these are kids that were waking up an hour and an hour earlier, hour Can and a half. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. And I, remember, <laughs> and I will tell you, I will never forget uh, Mrs. Kirkland, my first grade teacher, who was who was black, who told us, you know, look, you're classmates have to get up 
an hour to two hours earlier than you do and ride on a bus on a, on a you know, there's inhaling. I remember this in first grade. And I remember teachers, you know, then second grade, third grade, dragging black kids through the classroom because they, they didn't know how to react. So, why, I mean, taking kids out of their neighborhoods and sending them to a white neighborhood where it's safe and it's clean and we have all these programs and all these businesses and all these shops and everything and then send them back to the neighborhood and say, you know what, you, we're not going to do anything for you except for show you what we're not going to do for you. Why wouldn't, <laughs> but why wouldn't those families move? from the south and west sides with i mean those my age 50 years old which i think is one of the biggest groups so i think now we have people who are, are, are want more for the neighborhoods and we need to do everything we can to support that it's our families our neighbors our kids absolutely you know it's it, you know i i and i and i think i believe martin luther king said this uh, in his later life he well not i can't say later life he was of course gone prematurely but he, he, he became not that fond of indeg- integration anymore because for that very reason, it's like it meant that we moved, we traveled, right. we went, and our neighborhoods still were not invested in. And, right. and of course, this, it's still the cycle, yes. right? Yeah. Right. It's like, well, 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 why, they ju- why don't they just move? And then even when we moved to get to some of these resources... Then the folks who were living there, they moved further because we don't want you here. Well, you know, it's fine. I don't have to be here. But can you please help me right. build something or create something in, in these neighborhoods? And, and I promise you, I promise you that I can't say all, but some of us will stay and make them make them um, make it work make the neighborhoods work I love the idea of this of this facility that you envision and are you you said you've already bought a property is there already space there for classes and performances yeah so yes. we, we have it's a school right so right. it's 24,500 square feet of a, of a school building that we are actively using so we Excellent. hold our classes there out of school and after school time we have run a summer camp we had a hundred hundred students as our goal this year we had 75 last year um i have a staff of 14 and we are teaching there and we are teaching at some cps schools with which we partner but of course the goal is that that place that space become um a creative place making economic engine in in we are in roseland in that neighborhood so that you have the the shops that come as a result of kids coming and having performances. Um, I wanted to be the kind of space that should the Chicago Symphony say, you know what, let's get out into the neighborhood and give a concert. Right. They should think. They should think. Let's go to West Point School of Music because we know they have a place that could that would meet. They wouldn't meet all of the acoustical needs, of course, because that's a whole lot of millions, probably thirty five million just to do that, maybe more, but. At least it, it could be a place they feel good about performing and a place and a space that um, the audience can really engage the, with the performers. We have professional plans already, well, not plans. We have an image already drawn up by our architects, and this is very serious for us. And you mentioned that part of your vision is also for kids who might want to join the military, have the ability and access to playing in the, the marching bands. Have you had students who have gone on and, and become part of the marching bands? Yeah, we have, we have three of our uh, students who are in, in, the, in the U.S. Army. Oh, really? It's in a reserve unit, uh-huh. but they um, grew up in our program and went on and auditioned and went into the military. And I mean, it's not just we have students who are 
interested in playing in orchestras sure. and um, students who have become music teachers and mu- music educators. So we are developing young people who are, because we, of course we are, our game is that we are playing the long game, right? We are with students from as early as third grade and they can stay with us all the way through um, high school. And we are, that's the, the, the we have a longitudinal, a longitudinal relationship with our students and we we get to see the ones who are committed really achieve some success. And when you mentioned that uh, you accept donations of musical instruments, what are some of the instruments that are most in demand? What are what are kids clamoring? What do they run in there? They want do they want that saxophone? Yeah, we have students who want. <laughs> so we we of course we have a, our primary band now is a, well it's two things we we are a steel drum program. The steel drum is our anchor instrument, and my vision is to build a one hundred voice steel orchestra here in the city of Chicago. I want when someone comes to Chicago and they say, well, where can I go? You tell them, well, you can go here to Chicago Symphony on Monday night and Tuesday night or Wednesday night. You can go to the South Side, to the West Point School of Music Performing Art Theater, and you can hear the West, the Epic Steel Orchestra, which is our premier ensemble. And then we have our wind band. So we trombones, saxophones, trumpets, we all, any instruments in the wind band family. And this year we would like to establish a string, a string orchestra. So that's going to be the last piece for us. But this is the kind of so any instruments in those um, in, in those families would be fine. Outstanding. And again, and also of course, uh, support is is appreciated uh, in financial donations. We are talking to Julian Champion, who is uh, with the West Point School of Music. You can go to West Point. SOM.org. That's West Point School of Music, westpointsom.org. It's a tuition-free community music school. Uh, really, I, I, I'm so grateful that uh, you have started this program. And, uh, and again, investing in the South and West Sciences, the way Chicago is better for everyone. It is. But in particular, uh, communities that we have disinvested in and turned our backs on. And I, I think we need to really pay attention to our neighbors. Yeah, it's, it's like um, uh, not paying attention to an infected tool, right? Do our best, right? And, and, and it, will, really, it, will, it will come back to haunt you. Well, and, and growing the uh, imaginations and the well-being of kids, again, for their families, for their communities, uh, thank you so much for everything that you do. And we'd love to have you back sometime to update us on how things are going. And, and if you want to call in and say, hey, we have a, a donation drive going or we're getting close to a goal, uh, help us out. We'd love to help you. Okay, well, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Please be safe being out there. But at least the roads are clear, right? Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. We're going to take a break here. Uh, coming up after 6 o'clock, we're going to check in with some journalism students from DePaul who are in Iowa covering the caucuses with uh, Chris Burry. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. And again, that website is westpointsom.org. Everyone, thank you, Julian. Thank you. Driving it home. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining us as we drive it home. Want to say hi to our friends in Minneapolis, St. Paul, listening on KTNF 950 AM. And in between us is Iowa, where all eyes are turning today to find out how the caucus results will uh, unfold. And joining us on the line is Chris Burry, who is there with some journalism students from DePaul. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Uh, We're doing well. We're a little cold. We've been driving around Iowa in minus 18 degree uh, weather the last few days. So 
just getting around to see the candidates has been uh, difficult, but I've got a great group of intrepid DePaul journalism uh, students and student media, and uh, they've been uh, brave and in good cheer, and uh, they're learning that it's not all glamour doing <laughs> what we do. What? Uh, how do you prepare students? I mean, because I, you know, I've seen enough. Uh, you know, the docu. I remember there've been a few documentaries. Obviously, there's some the uh, Welcome to the Circus kind of things where you're following candidates. Uh, did they prep in any way by watching some of those? Because nothing's going to get you ready for the kind of temperature you're in on top of everything else, right? No, we, um, we we did you know watch some of the debates and town meetings and so on to get a feel for the candidates, and then yeah. I just sort of gave a, a little lecture about what the Iowa caucuses are about and the history and things like that. But they're fast learners; they picked it up right away and uh, they rolled right right with it. So uh, they've been you know interviewing voters, uh, they've been seeing the candidates up close and uh, shooting video, and so we have the school uh, newspaper. Um, the DePaulia, we have the school magazine, 14 East, we have the school TV station, Good Day DePaul, as well as some just regular students. So uh, they're all, you know, doing great work and they're learning a lot. And how are, uh, you know, candidates and voters in Iowa treating them? Because, you know, we went through this period of fake news and hating journalists. Are you see? I, I hope that we're not having any of that, right? It's just people, because at this point, these are candidates who really want to amplify their message and elevate their, their presence, right? Yes and no. Uh. Um, you know, we we certainly um, attended several uh, events. Uh, the DeSantis uh, uh, people were accommodating, and to some extent, uh, uh, the Haley people, although they did uh, ban one of our cameras from attending. Uh, the only campaign that's uh, basically turned us down has been the Trump campaign. Oh. Uh, we applied for credentials weeks ago uh, to the rally, and uh, they kept us sort of in the dark until the last moment and then uh, declined. So every other campaign has been uh, open and willing to talk to us. Uh, the Trump campaign basically has shut us off. And how have uh, residents been uh, talking to, to, the, to the students? Because, I mean, uh, they've, they've been great. Good. They, they have. Been. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know. It's you know you've heard of Minnesota nice. There's Iowa nice too, and uh, you know regular folks are uh, seem to be you know more than happy to talk to us. We really haven't had uh, you know much of a problem with that. Um, You know we haven't been everywhere. We we, we've been in somewhat limited by the the weather, but everywhere we've gone. People have been very kind. That's wonderful, and I, I, I've been, it's, I've been alerted to perhaps I wasn't kind by mispronouncing your name. We're talking to Chris Beery, is that right? Is that the right pronunciation? That's correct. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're very patient with me. Uh, it, it, it is exciting though. And, and so how long are you there? When did you guys arrive? Because I think I saw you on the road Saturday, perhaps. Yeah, we left Chicago Saturday, and we we went right to a Ron DeSantis event in Davenport. Iowa. And uh, yeah, so we drove back. We're basing in Mount Vernon, which is uh, a town sort of southeast central Iowa. And uh, we based here, I did this four years ago with another group of students. And we chose Mount Vernon because uh, there are five million national and international reporters driving up the hotel prices in Des Moines. So, uh, so we decided to uh, avoid the pack and the media hordes and camp out in a motel um, where we knew that we wouldn't be stepping all over, you know, thousands of other media. So the price was right, and we can get around uh, from uh, this location. Uh, there's a, a college here, Cornell College, which has also been very helpful, and we've talked to students and professors over there. Um, and it's just a, it's a nice sort of place uh, to. It's close to Cedar Rapids. It's a good place 
uh, to base, and uh, the people so far treated us very well. Now, Iowa has uh, some long stretches between some of these towns, and one of the things that uh, Donald Trump said, I believe, yesterday, trying to encourage people to make sure they get out and vote, is even if you're sick and you possibly die afterwards, uh, please, by all means, uh, go vote. How is how, What's your sense of what turnout is like in the locations you've been to? You know, it's the caucuses are just beginning um, tonight at seven. Okay. So it's a little bit early to tell, but I got to tell you, uh, the travel has been absolutely treacherous. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had driving from Davenport on Saturday night about four hours. I mean, it was it, it was white knuckle, and then last night we counted in one stretch of less than an hour, we counted about thirty semi tractor trailers in the ditch and dozens of cars. Uh, so travel, travel, especially in the eastern part of Iowa, has been just treacherous. And um, I'm, you know, I think the, a lot of the seasoned veterans around here do expect, you know, certainly a, a lower turnout. There's, this has been the worst weather um, in the history of the Iowa caucuses. I've been coming to Iowa caucuses since 1984, and I've been through some cold ones, but this is the worst. So we're not going to see anywhere near the... 2016 turnout of, you know, more than 180,000 people. So for the location that you're at, you mentioned that, so this all starts at seven. Do, because it's so cold, I imagine they're letting people into the locations uh, ahead of time. They're not making them queue up outside, are they? No, no. We're, we are at Mount Vernon High School, uh, which is in Lynn County, um, near Cedar Rapids. And there are actually going to be two separate caucuses. We're going to be in a giant high school auditorium, and one of the precincts will be in one corner of the auditorium, and another precinct will be in another corner of the auditorium. Uh, There are going to be about 1,600 of these going on across Iowa tonight in all 99 counties. So uh, what we're seeing here tonight in Mount Vernon is going to be magnified 1,600 times, um, and basically... Uh, people will discuss their candidates and then pass their ballots and the ballots will be announced and then transmitted to party headquarters in Des Moines where they will you know, tabulate and then, you know, obviously you know, release the results from Des Moines. We are again, we're talking to Chris Beery. He's a, a teaching journalism at, at DePaul. He's been uh, with ABC News, Nightline in D.C., PBS NewsHour, Frontline. And uh, and he's got uh, uh, some of the students with him tonight. Before we before we turn to one of the students, what, what is this? What's the strategy? What are you telling them, advising them to, to look for and who to talk to and, and how to cover this? Well, we're, we're doing several kinds of stories. We're going to do the basic hard news story of, uh, you know, who wins and who loses. But they've also been working on uh, issue stories. So they're working on stories about uh, immigration, for example, uh, young voters. Um, they're asking about the role of the evangelical Christians, which are obviously a huge driving force in the Republican caucuses in Iowa. So they'll be doing a combination of here are the results. Um, you know, hard news stories for tomorrow. And then for later in the week, they'll be doing issue stories, you know, issues on um, immigration and, uh, you know, religious issues and so on. So it's it kind of, you know, a mix of stories like that. Outstanding. So who are we going to meet first from the, the, the group of students that you're with right now? Okay, I'm going to hand you over here to uh, Audrey Lieb, and then she will hand you over to Hannah Lopez. And um, Audrey is writing for the student magazine, 14 East.
Excellent. Thank you so much again, Chris Beery. I look forward to talking to you again. Uh, I hope I haven't stolen you from Jones. I'll get permission from her later. It's better to ask for forgiveness, right? Hi, Patty. It's Audrey. Hey, we're talking to Audrey Lieb. Thank you so much for joining us. I started following you on Saturday when I saw that your group was uh, was out there. Uh, first of all, Audrey, where are you from originally? So I'm from Columbus, Ohio, uh, just a little bit north of Columbus, actually. Okay, so the weather's not too much. I mean, like you've had bad weather like this before in, in Ohio, right? Oh, definitely. We've had a negative wind chill like this uh, a couple years ago when I was in high school. Okay. Um, it was pretty pretty horrible. <laughs> well, I only say that because I, I saw the picture with you and the group of students, and as a mom, I'm like, where's your hood? Why isn't your coat completely zippered? I'm just <laughs> I can see that. But, but, no, you, but, but you're used to the weather. So tell us, you know, what, what's, what's surprising you the most in, in covering the Iowa caucuses? What's surprising me the most is really just the sheer amount of people who are still coming out in this weather. Um, it's been really surprising seeing that. And a lot of them, you know, despite popular opinion, are not here for Trump. A lot of them are here for Haley and DeSantis. Um, so that's been really surprising. Another really surprising thing is um, asking more and more people, because I hear all the time about um, evangelical vote. And I've been asking people, you know, how is religion impacting your vote during this caucus? And they're saying it's not. Really? Um, it's very strange to me. What are some of the issues that is uh, compelling them to want to choose one candidate over the other? It's mostly immigration and the economy. Um, you know, folks are really hurting right now, especially here in Iowa uh, and really, frankly, all over the country. So immigration is a huge selling point for them um, because they're under the impression that immigrants are taking their jobs. Um, Are they aware that their minimum wage is seven fifty, and that's not? A, I, I, I just, yeah, I, it's a terrible thing to, to say, but but I'm like, they have, there's so many things that's going on at the local level. It's interesting that people look to the presidential election for those kinds of solutions, isn't it? It is really interesting. I mean, I think in the past probably fifty years, there's been a lot more of a nationalization instead of you know, localized yes. solutions. Yeah, that's fascinating that immigration is, is top of mind for them. And of course, the economy. Is anyone talking about, because, you know, gas prices was one of the issues last year that Republicans were running on and hammering, uh, you know, the, the executive branch, the president, President Biden. Is that anything that comes up where, I mean, I guess I'm guessing in, in, in Iowa has got to be under three bucks now. It is under three bucks. It's actually very surprising to me. I'm used to Chicago gas prices where it's like five ninety five for a gallon. Um, but here it's been about two eighty, two seventy right. is like the lowest I see. They haven't really been talking about it. Um, at least not anyone that I've spoken to when I've mentioned the economy. They're mostly talking about inflation. Okay. Which, which, which makes sense. And, and, you know, obviously everyone's trying to, and, and what, so what is it once, if it's Haley or DeSantis more than anybody else, uh, you know, what is their, what kind of conversations they're having with you in regards to that? Are you hearing people saying, you know, I voted for Trump before? Cause we've seen some interviews where people are saying there's gotta be a better way forward. Are you hearing that? Yes. I, I've spoken to a lot of people who say that they voted for Trump in 2016. They voted for him in 2020. And they're looking to DeSantis because they believe that DeSantis can, you know, run more on the ideas 
that Trump had and put back in place those Trump policies and that they he also is going to go a step further with it. Um, and then for Haley, they say that they just need a completely different approach that, you know, the drama that comes with Trump is just too much now. And um, Haley said yesterday during one of their speeches that Trump um, has chaos that just follows him. And a lot of voters agree. And I, I think I saw in Chris's uh, in Chris Beery's uh, tweet about how as though it follows him somehow without any of his behavior compelling it to be following him. Right? It just sort of magically follows him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, sure. That makes sense. What uh, so what is so tonight you guys are, you have the folks that are arriving for for two sets of caucuses tonight at the high school that you're in, in Mount Vernon. What who are you going to be talking to? Some of the voters? Are, have you had a chance to talk to candidates or people in their campaigns? Yes. So I'm going to talk mostly to voters. I want to see um, what the evangelicals, like um, self-identified evangelicals are going to say um, and who they are caucusing for. Um, So I'm interested in what their opinions are about other candidates, who they would vote for if Trump does not win the nomination, um, who they would vote for if their candidate doesn't win the nomination, and really what they think about you know, what's their main issue that they're, they really want changed? How has Biden's um, policies affected them? Right. That's great. And so before before we turn to, to Hannah, let me ask you this. What what do you want to do in, in journalism? Because I, I have a son who's 20. He's thinking about studying journalism as well. What, what has, has compelled you to pursue journalism as a study? So my dad was a journalist, um, and I really... I love writing, um, and I really want the truth and the information to be out there in voters' hands so they can make the most informed decision that they can. That's really what drives me to do this, is the truth and honesty. It's what drives you to be in sub-zero weather. Not that you wouldn't have sub-zero weather in Chicago, but it's something different, isn't it, in in rural Iowa? It takes on a whole new level, doesn't it, Audrey? It really does, especially with all the semis we saw flipped over. Oh, it's scary. Yeah. yeah. So I've been talking to Audrey Lieb. You can follow her on Twitter. It's Audrey L-E-I-B. And is there another uh, Twitter handle you want folks to follow? Or is that the best? Oh, 14 East Mag, right? 14 East Mag would be great, yeah. 14 East Mag, folks. Chicago's new look to Paul use online magazine. Uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And uh, and I, we look forward to reading your work and, and following your journeys as, as you can continue forward in your career in journalism. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. And we're going to talk to, to Hannah Lopez. Is it Hannah, Hannah Lopez? I think it's Hannah Lopez is next. Yes, it's Hannah. Hi. Hannah, hi, Hannah. How are you doing today? Are you staying warm? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Excited to talk to you. Me too. I was told of this opportunity and I was like, of course, I love being on the radio. I have my own radio show for a reason. Oh, what's your DePaul. radio? Tell us what's your radio show on DePaul. What, what, where can we find that? It's called Rambling. It's just me talking about every encounter that I've met or like encountered from point A to point B while getting to the studio before my my show starts. <laughs> I love that. And is there, is, there, is, there, is, a, is there a website for your show? There is. So on the rate so the Paul Radio has their own website. It's literally radiodepaul.com or something. And whoever show um is playing will be at the bottom of the website and it'll you can like click on it. It gives you like a whole lineup of like what shows play when. It's really cool. 
That's outstanding. And so tell us first, uh, where are you from originally, Hannah? Hannah, sorry. I'm from Chicago. Oh, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to high school? I went to Lincoln Park High School. Okay. My dad went there when it was Waller. That's how long ago my dad went to school there. Extraordinary. um, Yep. Yeah, my uncle and my aunt went there, and it was really funny because when I got on, they were like, oh, my gosh, every time we would see them, they'd be like, oh, we went to Waller back when it was Waller. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> it's awesome. That's fantastic. And w- so tell us how it's going in Iowa. W- is there anything that has kind of caught you by surprise while you've been there? Besides the weather, I want to say, like, the amount of students that were actually, like, getting involved. Earlier, we spoke to some students at Cornell, and just to hear the young voters get out there and get to caucusing was really impressive to me, because I know in the last time I was so that was honestly like the struggle, and like young voters not really coming to the polls, but like advertising for their political parties. Yeah. It, so for me, that was like a big like, Tennessee, like, we did it, like, kind of on so... Oh, that's great. And and are you finding, because of what we're seeing uh, on, let's say, social media, of course, we're seeing the speeches. We're also seeing a lot of disruptions we're seeing, and, which is not uncommon. Uh, yeah. we're, you know, especially I'm, I'm, it seems as though it's the climate change groups are kind of interrupting s- some of the speeches. And Vivek Ramaswamy let a couple of folks speak. He gave them like a minute. Uh, other people just started yelling. Uh, what, what's been your reaction or what's your what's been the reaction overall to those disruptions? Well, it's honestly pretty funny you say that because yesterday when we were at the Haley event, um, I was standing by our photographer on the trip and I just saw like signs. It just said like, eat me. And like, that was the only sign I saw. And I saw a group of people try to walk in. And as soon as the Haley supporters standing by the door saw that, they slammed the door in their face. I was like, I wonder if those are climate protesters. Yeah, I would imagine. But I think, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was like, oh, they're really not getting in. There are a bunch of people standing by the door. We also saw, I mean, again, there's there's going to be disruptors on the campaign trail. Uh, there always have been. Uh, one guy, I don't yeah. know if you saw this from the Good Liars, uh, gave uh, DeSantis a participation trophy. Okay. <laughs> yes. Sorry. All of us were like, wow. Yeah. At least you want something after this. It's gutsy. What uh, what are you hearing from voters? I know we talked to to uh, Audrey about you know she, people reacting as to what what's compelling them to vote for one candidate over the other. What are you hearing from voters yeah. in Iowa? Well, my my own piece. Um, I'm here with DePaul's news uh, channel, Good Day DePaul. My what I've been asking voters a lot of is like what they think about immigration. I know Audrey touched base on that a little bit, but a lot of you know, people of color, a lot of minority groups are actually voting for Nikki Haley because of the stamps coming from, you know, parents that came over as immigrants, you know? Right. So they feel that personal connection to Nikki Haley. They feel, you know, if I'm first generation here, Nikki Haley and I are similar. I actually heard that from a student earlier. She's, or I'm so sorry, Nikki Haley and the student shares, like, they're very similar story and he believes if people were more like her we could get you know immigration back to where it was and as he called it like a little bit tighter on restrictions so it's definitely interesting to hear obviously like Iowa especially since Chicago right now is dealing with 
migrant, a migrant crisis in itself, hearing something a little bit more like, okay, I want this political candidate because they actually want to tighten the border. They want to restrict things so they can have migrants coming over correctly right. is really wild to me. Like, yeah. what is the correct yeah, I, uh, you know, we, we've heard some rhetoric about about migrants and I was I was briefly talking to Audrey about there seems to be a separation between when people talk about the economy and how it's affecting them when in Iowa, the, yeah. minim, the minimum wage is seven fifty. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's going to be hard to pay for things when inflation goes up if you don't have your local electeds fighting for you. That, that's my take. Absolutely. And the fact that they're very concerned about their jobs, like we spoke about the uh, age of, like, legal age to start work here in Iowa, it's 16. When I was 16, I was worrying about what I was going to do in class the next day, if I wanted to go to class the next day. Like, that's what I was worrying about. To yeah. have these kids, you know, going from class to work and then having to do them like that, they're stuck for the next day. And then repeat this cycle for the school year is insane to me. I, I agree. And, and not only that, but they're they're lowering the number of days of week for some. We could go on and on about this. Uh, but 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 uh, Hannah is uh, Hannah Lopez is joining us. We've talked to Audrey Lieb and Chris Beery from DePaul's journalism department. And I really want folks to follow the students. Do you have a, a Twitter account that folks can can follow you and and, uh, and learn I more about do. what's going on? Go ahead. I do. My Twitter account let me log in because I haven't I haven't touched Twitter since we got here because I was scared. Um, it's Hana H A N N A capital L right like W R I E E S. Okay, excellent. And uh, we'll follow you and uh, and all the DePaul journalism students. And we're so grateful for your time. I know you've got a lot of work to do ahead of you. And we'd love to check in with you again. And folks, if you follow her, we'll find out more about her radio show, too. Uh, we really are uh, just so grateful for the work that you're doing and for joining us tonight. Have a wonderful, a wonderful evening. Thank I know it's going to be so <laughs> Thank you. And I know it's going to be I, I'm excited to hear what you guys uh, think after all is said and done and the dust settles in Iowa. Be well, be safe. And we'll talk to you again. OK. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much. Let's take a break here. When we come back, I'll take, uh, we've got a guest coming up in just a little bit, and I'll, I'll take your calls right after that. Jim and David on hold. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. We are going to open up the phone lines because I have to, you know, I probably dropped an email with our friends from the Belmont, uh, from the uh, wonderful senior center in our community, the Belmont Village Senior Living. I apologize to them and we will uh, reschedule that to talk about brain health and what steps you can take to make sure you remember stuff. Uh, So here on the phone with us are listeners joining in. Jim in Chicago, I'm so sorry I couldn't get you on with uh, the students. I they're they're in a gymnasium and, and uh, at the end there with with Hannah, I realize we're having some audio Yeah, that's probably a good spot for my call because <laughs> I want him to report on the personal hygiene of the leading candidate. <laughs> according to the congressman, according to our congressman from Illinois, he has four distinct smells, otherworldly oh. smells coming from different parts of his body, and. I just wonder if if he can't if, if Trump himself can't smell, or if he's just uh, 
aging definitely in front of our eyes. Right. Or what's that? Well, but the smells, the Jim, smells are just, they're otherworldly. Well, I mean, I've never heard anybody just, I've heard people describe that every uh, political cartoon you can think of, but this is amazing to have somebody smell that badly. Did you see photos of how he arrived in, in Iowa? He looks like he wandered out in his bedrobe, in his bathrobe, uh, which, you know, is a lot of traveling. I, I, there's a lot of elements, but I will tell you, there's uh, someone who used to be on the... Uh, what was the name of it? The Apprentice. And he said that, you know, there, for different reasons, whether it's his diet and also taking Adderall and things like that, that he often evacuated his, you know, his bowels. Like he didn't necessarily have complete you know, control. And Kissinger, I mean, he described four distinct smells that were, yeah. I think, otherworldly. But I, 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 I just am waiting to hear a report on that. That should be interesting. Because that, that's a new wrinkle in politics. Anyway, Barry, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. We'll talk to you again soon, Jim. I'm sorry I couldn't get you to the uh, to the students. I don't know if I would want. I don't, Andy. I don't think I would want to ask the students. Hey, how does Trump smell? <laughs> Although they were also not allowed into those events, I didn't get a chance to tell Jim that. But Dave in San Francisco's got some some thoughts. Hey, David, how are you doing today? Oh, hi, Ted. I would have wanted to ask uh, the students, have they noticed the bizarre ads that are being played on the radio? Um, I've been paying attention to Iowa for a week or so, and you remember, I don't know, about a week ago, they showed up on the comedy shows that there is a, a, a so-called pastor that's claiming that Trump is chosen by God. Oh, yeah. There's a whole ad. It's got like it, it starts out like, you know, in the galaxy. And, it, and I mentioned this last week because I used to be uh, when I was a child, I was raised in the Mormon church and they would have like these kind of like animated versions of like how the, what the universe was like and what our role in it was as, you know, as Mormons and all that. And it, kinda, it reminded me a little bit at the beginning of that. Um, so it starts out like in the galaxy and it zooms on, on a planet Earth. And like, essentially, the whole idea is that he's here to save humanity. This is the gist right, of this yeah. very religious. Yeah. And and so that, those are the things that are being played. And if you can imagine being some farmer that's stuck five miles away from your nearest neighbor and you're hearing this stuff hour right. after hour after yeah. hour, it's, it's bizarre. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to call the local shows and, you know, breaking the spell, but it's. When you imagine that, you know, the, the corporate chains basically own all of the small stations up in Iowa, there are very few of them that have, you know, WCPT runs, you probably do at least 12 hours a day of live programming right. uh, that a person can interact with. And uh, out there, you're lucky to get two or three hours, much less in some of those stations, it's one hour a week, and that may be a pre-recorded interview. So, you know, a lot of the local towns don't have um, interactive radio, much less that it's just these big mega hogs that are just lying hour after hour. But it's it's scary, some of the ads that are being played. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And I, I heard that conversation earlier today with uh, Tom Hartman talking about how a lot of, you know, a lot of, and I've mentioned this before, where very wealthy conservative billionaires have put a lot of money into media and not cared about what the revenue was like, you know, whether or not they made money off of it just to get to hammer away, basically to 
infiltrate so many of these communities because it'll often be the religious programming and then it's followed up by the, you know, Rush Limbaugh types because he still has, they're still playing a Rush Limbaugh network, you know, whether it's new conservatives or old audio of his and that's been their that's been their goal is to completely have the hearts and minds literally across the united states and they've succeeded at that to just keep piping it out there yep you know it's funny the the theme that i've been leaning on though is uh what is uh penthouse boy uh or sometimes i call him farmer don uh the penthouse boy what's his agricultural policy for iowa and when you right. think about uh, the, the primaries are supposed to be regional uh, regional support for each of the candidates. Where do they, if Iowa is an agricultural state, uh, where does the candidate stand with agricultural issues? Well, none of them have agricultural policy. They're, they're all about whether or not uh, uh, guns are woke and whether they're satanic and all of this sort of junk. And yeah, this, this phony religious theme uh, keeps getting spread up there. So yeah, I really feel sorry for the people of Iowa. They're trapped in a um, hellish mess of corporate radio or corporate media. Yeah. And I, you know, I do need to get out and send out more, you know, make more contacts with radio stations in places like that and figure out a way. I don't I mean, I I, I guess I'm assuming it'll be no, but you don't know till you till you make those you know connections. Right. I, I do need to be out there and say, look, we do we do have a liberal take, but it's also, uh, you know, people who have spending dollars as well. Why? Why ignore an entire portion of the population? And actually, you know, most elections have been Democrats have won the presidential election by popular vote, just not by the Electoral electoral College. And in part because of exactly what you're talking about is that control over the media in those areas. You know, what's strange about it is that big corporate chain, and I won't say it out loud, but it it doesn't really have any heart to it. Uh, It has uh, it's basically 20 billion dollars bankrupt. And it's been that way for a decade or more. I, basically, when uh, Bush was still in office, it was that deep in bankruptcy. But the FCC never reclaims their stations. And when you start thinking about small business, and, and this could be part of the description of you in, in pushing for your show on their station, will the local uh, uh, business people be able to get PSAs run? Uh, will they get... Uh, uh, be able to run local ads without having to pay the the price that Pepsi has to pay for an ad. You know, instead of $2,000 a minute, that the local laundry mat could get it for $50 a minute or, you know, uh, right. $100 or something, something like that. Yeah. And that's basically, the FCC has known that local radio was good for the local economy, but once uh, a big corporation came in and, and fired all of the local ad salespeople, that if that laundry mat even wants to try to uh, get some airplay, they have to call the corporate headquarters and get the corporate uh, 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 ad salesperson to try to come up with a decent price to be able to pull it. And when you think about, like you're saying, there's a local economy that's not only not being served, but it's being starved. That's a really good point. uh, Look at this. I'm learning stuff. Yeah. And for 20 years, they haven't been able to run an ad. And uh, so the local economy is just eaten alive by having to keep up with the corporate uh, uh, demands. 
it's it's very much like a colony, and I, I try to uh, uh, you know push that idea of colony and ec- uh, colony economics. And uh, I don't you're, you're certainly not old enough to remember the original FCC uh, did not want a single corporation to have more than three stations in America at all, uh, three total, and that's why I think uh, like. ABC, I think, had New York, uh, uh, L.A., and I'm trying to think of where their third one was. But it was only when the corporate uh, uh, deregulation of of radio happened in the late 90s and early uh, 1000s that this ugly corporate uh, takeover happened. And, uh, And you can see what it did to the economy. Absolutely. No, and, and, and all that with uh, equal time as well. You know, I, I, people complained when I was at another station because they were conservatives and felt that I was, you know, and they would complain in places where even if we had equal time as something that was enforced, you, it's when the candidate is on the ballot for the general election. So it's like it wasn't even something that I needed to offer because it was outside that time frame. But it, and, and by the way, Andy, it came from within the station, like somebody who worked there complained that. That I was highlighted. And it's like, these are the people that I think are doing the job. I don't have to tell you. Uh, but yeah, all, all great points, David. And, and thank you, because I've got some notes here based on what you've been talking about and good good point, good issues to raise with uh, folks in other markets in, in the hopes of spreading, the, if not my show, then the, whatever conversations we can get out there in their communities. So thank you, David. I appreciate sure. it. Thank, hey, thank, <laughs> thank you. Have a good night. And let's go to Dave in Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, Patty. Hey. You're just talking about uh, Iowa and Trump. Did you see the other night <laughs> he was up at the podium and telling me, you know, getting these people to get out and vote and said, you know, <laughs> something to the effect, like, even if you're going to die, put yep. the vote in first. <laughs> Good Lord, you know. Yeah, even if you die afterwards. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He got my permission. Just allows you <laughs> mark the box first, you know, and... Uh, <sighs> He probably could call up and said, "Wow, you guys braved the braved the COVID before, you know, coming in into these uh, arenas and stuff without the mask." So come on, <laughs> it's just that guy has. Well, and what did you think? Did you did you get a chance to hear the students talking about how everyone they've talked to has said they they haven't talked to many voters who say they're voting for Trump, or you know, a lot of folks don't want to admit they're going to vote for Trump anyway. Oh no, no, I missed that part. That yeah. The journalism you know, students. And stuff. Yep. Well, okay. I seen something where there were some people that protested him, and oh yeah, and uh, and uh, they ran him out right away. Of course, you know. Wouldn't it be and crazy? Then he said like, yep. Wouldn't it be crazy but if he lost? Crazy. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. oh, <laughs> I got to thinking about something to that effect, and he would call it, you know, that it was rigged or fake news yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, if he comes. That would be, that would be funny. Well, he said <laughs> he know, wants to. He's going to win for the third time in Iowa. Only what he lost to Ted Cruz in 2016. Just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Does it? Uh, <laughs> it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> it yeah, exactly. Well, listen. Let me clear off so you get to somebody else that's calm. But I just started mentioning that to you about that. You know, I'm seeing that where this. The cycles of telling these people that, you know, forget the weather, you know, the, you know, the frigid weather yeah. and the snows and stuff that's coming both for me, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, what's, you know what's funny. I will say this, uh, Dave. I don't know how much you're on Twitter, but uh, I'm there because sometimes there are stories and guests that I catch. Like Chris, uh, I want you know from DePaul University with the journalism students. Yeah, actually, I was telling my husband this. One of the reasons I stay on Twitter is uh, like Jess Piper, the Dirt Dirt Road Dem. I found like, I, I engaged with her there. Uh, Michael Stern, who's a regular guest on our show, like these are folks who are out there trying to get the word out and are willing to you know accept messages from a little radio station in Chicago, of course, the country's biggest progressive radio station. But uh, no, that's why I stay there. And so I don't know if you saw this, but one of the stories that's circulating is that, uh, and and I hate when we do this because it doesn't help us, that uh, Donald Trump is calling Mexicans wetbacks, right? Saying that he wants to round up illegals and all these different things and deport them and put them in camps. And I, and I, here's what we, we need to be vigilant about folks is when you see a story, verify it rather than resharing it. And what he's alluding to is the 1950s policy that was called Operation Wetback. And he's alluding to the practices of that and, and wants that back. But I haven't been able to find him actually saying it, whether it was in 2016 or this time around. And it's bugging me. But that's what's going around on social media again today. Yeah. No, I don't. I've never Twittered at all. So. <laughs> no, seriously. You know. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I just I don't know how. So I've never done it. So well, I, just, I could, all I can do with is, you know uh, texting and that. Do you do do you do, you do you do Facebook? Yeah, a little bit, but not lately. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll just a lot of junk. You know, that's all. I, I know. just. I know the you know, the so. thing about I, I look. I'm not a big fan of Twitter either, but it it is very it is very. Uh, I guess easy because of the shorthand. You don't have to put anything out there, but you know there are certain accounts you can follow, and then that'll that'll say you know here's and threads too, same thing. I, I get it. I, I I wish I didn't have to. I wish I wasn't on there, but that such is the the bane of my existence as a as a broadcaster. I got to stay at the date on some things. But thank you, Dave. It's great to hear from you. Have be yeah. safe. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with Steve Goody because tonight is the virtual comedy show and you hear his music here every single day with our theme song and some of the great parody songs that he does. So it'll be a virtual comedy show tonight at 9. By the way, at 7.30, we are having a special edition of My Whiskey and a Cookie with Esmeralda Leon, with uh, Elliot Serrano, Scott Santos, and Adam Selzer. So that'll be on the Patty Vasquez show page on Facebook. That's the Patty Vasquez show page. Tune in for Whiskey and a Cookie and then follow me, just follow me to uh, the virtual comedy show with Bradley Tassel and Steve Goody, who we'll catch up with in just a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. passion and rage of our next guest, Steve Goody, who is the singer-songwriter of that song and our theme song here. Uh, also, uh, Vote Blue No Matter Who, all the things, QAnon Girl. Uh, Steve Goody joins us. He's uh, one of the producers and performers of Virtual Comedy Show, happening tonight at 9 p.m. Central, virtualcomedyshow.com. How are you doing, Steve? I'm outraged and passionate. <laughs> 
Uh, are you are you in uh, are you at home in Tennessee? How are you guys how are you guys doing with I'm the snow in, and the cold? Uh, I'm home in Tennessee. Yes, I I was at a wedding in Georgia yesterday, and after dropping my sister off at the Atlanta airport, I drove back to Nashville from like 10 p.m. <gasps> to no. 4 a.m. No. <laughs> Oh my the first God. few hours were fine, and then it was snow, 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 35 miles an hour. Oh, God. Uh, and who needs lane markings, I say. Oh, God. It's I, fine. I, it's fine. <laughs> you know, one of the nice things for me, uh, I, I've decided uh, a few years ago when I was on a gig, uh, I was going to De Pere, Wisconsin. I had to go to someplace in Indiana all through Lake Effect Snow. I was like, nope, I am not going on the road anymore. Uh, f- for less, honestly, I think less than, I think it might decide like a thousand dollars. Like, but my life is worth only a thousand dollars. I've seen jackknife right, yeah. cars and stuff. And yeah, it's, um, so how are, how are Tennesseans dealing with the snow and cold? Cause I saw some, we deal snowfall. with it. We deal with it so very badly. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's not really our fault. I've said this many times. I'll say it again. We only have one snow plow and when nobody knows where the keys are, so it's not entirely our fault. <laughs> Yeah, I saw some uh, some video uh, down on where all the uh, the music venues are, that main strip with the barbecues and everything, and they had some plow. I think it said, uh, Nashville gets plowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose that's possible. Yeah, I guess so. Um, are you following what's going on in Iowa with the caucuses right now? I am not. <laughs> Tell me what's going on with Iowa and the caucuses right now. Well, last night, Donald Trump told uh, his followers that even if they're feeling sick, they need to get out to and vote, get to the caucuses. <laughs> and if you die afterwards, at least it was worth it. Seriously said that. Right. Yeah. I did hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, another highlight uh, is uh, one of the good liars. These guys are going, they're kind of disruptors. They gave uh, DeSantis a participation trophy. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. And uh, we just talked to some journalism students uh, who are covering it from DePaul University. They said that Nikki Haley was talking about how, you know, drama just seems to follow President Trump. It just seems to follow, by no actions yeah. of his own, Steve. He has nothing to do with the yeah. drama. <laughs> I don't know. Being a carbon-based life form follows me around. I don't know what to think about. <laughs> I mean, that's who I am. Uh, for folks who haven't had a chance to check in on our uh, virtual comedy show, we are thrilled to have you. Do we have any um, protocols for uh, to avoid last week's uh, interlopers by any chance? <laughs> that- well, <laughs> I would I would say this: if you're planning on bombing our show, please put the word "bomb" in your username, so we'll know not to let you in. <laughs> That's good. I, so that's I, really all I can think of. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to allude to what happened because I don't want to encourage others. But but I was because I could see like some of the because I like to go to gallery view. And I was like, oh, whoa, what's that? Yeah, yeah, that was that. Yeah, was it. yeah. please please show up if you want to enjoy our show, and if you if you show up for other reasons, we will kick you out. That's just how that's yeah. going to go. We'll do it as quickly as we can. And I look, we had more people come last week. We'd love to build that audience again. It's virtualcomedyshow dot com. It's a free show. At some point, we will beg you for money. I we won't. Brad will. So that'll be fun. Did he pre record? Actually, show? I will. You will. I'll be doing the bra- bra- uh, begging tonight. Well, you can brag too. I don't mind. <laughs> I can brag too, guys. <laughs> who do, who do we have on the show tonight? We have the amazing Danny Browning as our comedian headliner, and also our very favorite uh, musical act, Annie Mosier, also from Nashville, originally from Vermont. So she'll tell us all about the, the, what's going to be happening in New Hampshire or not. But she lives here in Nashville now, and she's just the best. 
outstanding. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Brad and Steve since 2021, I believe. No, 2020. I think I started after yeah. you guys. I, I joined you. I do a three-minute patty melt. Uh, I will. Yep. Pro- I, actually, I know what I'm going to talk about tonight because I, I, I haven't told you guys. When I was in Los Angeles, they do this thing called like chirotherapy or something. In L.A., they stand in a box for four minutes with 30 below zero just for like your health. <laughs> <laughs> Which has made me feel so much better about the weather in Chicago. I can't even begin yeah, to tell you. I'm like, every time I walk God. outside, it's just like, oh, it's a spa day for me. <laughs> That's great. You know what's also great for your health? Hitting yourself in the hand with a stapler. Yes. Try that. Okay. I will, I will see how that goes. Because it, 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 it accelerates the healing process, I'm guessing. Right. It triggers your yeah. white blood cells. It builds up those antibodies toward office supplies. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, everyone, go to stevegoody.com. That's G-O-O-D-I-E. Steve always has a great top 10 list. He always brings great music. And uh, Steve and Brad bring great guests and deliver wonderful performances. It's an honor to perform with you. And we have to, we're going to do this regularly. Every every Monday night, the last uh, few minutes of the show, I'd like to promote the I – have, I have, I'm back on track. I'm organized this year, That's Steve. Awesome. I swear. And- we- <laughs> and we are honored to have you as part of our team every single week at the Virtual Comedy Show. Thank you, thank you, Steve. Where where are you performing live next so people can follow you if they're looking for you? Well, weather allowing, I'm supposed to be doing my Al, the Weird Tribute show, this Thursday in Nashville at the Third Coast Comedy Club. Uh, we don't know if the snow will have cleared enough. Again, we're, we're getting that one snowplow started as soon as we can. Um, <laughs> it's it's not looking good. It's I'm giving it like a 40, 60 chance that the show will actually go on this Thursday. But if we don't do it this Thursday, we'll do it sometime, and you can keep up with that at stevegoody.com. And again, catch him every Monday night, including tonight at 9 p.m. at virtualcomedyshow.com. I'll see you in a little bit, and you can catch Whiskey and a Cookie, Steve, on my Patty Vasquez show page. We'll, do, we'll be talking about the caucuses, too. Yay! Yay! Have a great night, Steve. See you soon. Bye. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Mike Crute's up next with Devil's Advocate. Thank you, Andy Miles, for keeping everything going smoothly, uh, regardless of how chaotic I make it. See? I just I need people who are just even keeled and just go, okay, this is happening next. But have a great night, everybody. Take care.